Coming up this evening on NTD Business, inflation bites again. Today we look at rent prices and why they're rising so darn fast. Some of America's top companies are laying off staff or pausing hiring. Is it a sign of things to come? More baby formula could be back on the shelves soon. A serious nationwide shortage is making things difficult for families. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Two of the world's top oil producers say that without more investment, the world could see an oil shortage. The producer's spare energy capacity is falling. Saudi Arabia on Tuesday said that the world needs to wake up to an existing reality. It's running out of energy capacity at all levels. Its neighbor, the UAE, echoed the fears, warning that without more global investment, OPEC Plus can't guarantee oil for its customers as the world economy recovers from the pandemic. Together, the two countries account for 15% of the world's production. They're still investing in oil production, but other producers are reluctant in the face of a strong political and social push for renewables. OPEC Plus fell short of its production quotas by 2.5 million barrels per day in April. That's about one-eighth of the daily U.S. oil consumption. And back in the States, fuel for babies is already seriously low. Abbott Laboratories says it could restart baby formula production in Michigan within two weeks. Good news, as a major recall has left shelves bare across the country. Several big retailers, including CVS, Walgreens and Target, are all limiting purchases. Around the country, around 40% of baby formula products were out of stock last month, according to one data firm. Abbott is a top supplier of baby formula. In February, it recalled some baby formula made at its Michigan plant after complaints of bacterial infections in infants who consumed the products. But no formula that has been distributed tested positive for bacteria, according to Abbott themselves. So we have shortages and inflation. Does it ever get too much for you? The U.S. government says the price of gas fell 6% last month. Good news for weary wallets. But I'm sorry to tell you, the price of just about everything else went up and wiped out any savings you may have made at the pump. Stand-up pain in April was the cost of shelter. It's officially up 5% for the year, but word on the street is rents are up way more than that. The cost of another basic staple, food, is still going up fast. Fertilizer shortages, rising diesel costs, pushing food prices up 1% for the month and almost 10% for the year. No help on the way for the farmers either, it seems. Medical care, recreation and household furnishings, more expensive last month too. But the Labor Department did note some bright spots. The cost of clothing, communication and used cars all fell in April. So, rent inflation. It's apparently never been more costly to rent in many parts of the country, including New York City. The city that never sleeps has some renters out on their feet. And Didiesville Zoe reports. Renters in New York are facing record prices. Uh, they're ridiculous. <laughs> Especially in Manhattan, where asking rents are averaging $3,700 in the first quarter of this year. That's a whopping $1,000 increase from the year before. Jared moved to Manhattan when he found a sweet deal during the pandemic. I moved from Brooklyn to the Upper West Side during COVID, took a COVID deal. But now he's expecting to move out once his lease is up. That lasted one year. My rent went up 15%. And I tried to negotiate, didn't, didn't work. But the rent increases can get even worse. The building I'm living in, I've heard that costs have gone up about 30%. Rent's gone up about 30%.
Stephanie just moved to the city. She's paying around $3,500 for a luxury apartment in downtown Manhattan. A lot of times the apartments were rented, um, sometimes without showings at all. There were multiple offers on rentals. Demand is expected to go even higher because there aren't that many apartments available. There just isn't much supply. Vacancy is uh, below 2%. It's been that way all year, which is a really tight uh, low number. Housing expert Jonathan Miller expects the high prices to continue for a while. There isn't any obvious signs of relief in the near future. I think that we're looking at this condition for at least the next year. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Vanderbilt Housing. And with this live is recovering investment banker and author of The War on Small Businesses, Carol Roth. Carol, great to see you. Hey, Paul, how are you? Great, as always, Carol, thank you. Carol, I understand why things like food and gas are more expensive. We have supply chain problems, we have the energy transition, but why is rent so expensive? So we have this tremendous supply-demand imbalance in housing that is really at the core. Um, after the Great Recession financial crisis, we had this overbuilding of housing. And then when everything collapsed and there was all of the supply from foreclosure, over the next decade, they overcorrected and there was incredible underbuilding. And so if you look at right now the estimates, we are underbuilt by about four to five plus million homes in the United States right now. So that's the, the supply side of things. And then on the demand side of things, you have corporate buyers who have been flush with cash and easy money from the Fed, who really have been looking for places to invest. And they have come into the housing market to compete with individuals for buying homes. So you have all of this demand with this constricted supply, and that means housing prices are going up. So we have individuals who are priced out of, of actually owning a home, and we have too many pe people for the homes there. So they are all going into the rental market. And as you can imagine, with those increased prices, that is then flowing through to renting. And that's why we have um, this incredible, you know, huge burden in terms of renting in the United States. So are you saying that the fact that maybe interest rates went so low during the pandemic, people were looking for an inflation hedge, perhaps? Is this why we're seeing such a sharp rise in the past two years in rents? I think it really um, is, a, is a combination of that. Certainly when you have the low mortgage interest rate, it spurs demand for people maybe even to pick up a second home. But it really is the supply side. There just aren't enough homes for people. And so even now at these higher uh, mortgage rates, you're still having you know big mortgage rate applications. Now, at some point, that probably cools down. But that plus the easy money with the corporate buyers um, you know, ends up in this perfect storm and really has impacted housing. So we're saying obviously mortgage rates have risen recently. The Fed is going to raise their interest rates to cool this demand. But you're saying even if that happens, because the supply is so low, maybe rents may not even slow down or, or perhaps fall. Yeah, I mean, you may see some slowing, but it doesn't mean that it's going to completely fall off a cliff unless we end up with a really bad recession. And then we're dealing with a whole set of other factors. But I think this long term issue in the undersupply of housing is going to be impacted for a long time because with all of these other rising costs, you know, the cost of lumber and the cost to build a house is more expensive. So we don't have home builders rushing in and you know, filling that void and that need that we really um, in a way that we would really like to see. 
Let's think about American wallets just for a second. We, the CPI showed gas prices fell a little bit. Looking at the, the, the report more broadly, do you see any light at the tunnel for people's purses and wallets? <laughs> well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I know the feeling. But yeah, I know, know it's, it's, not the, it's not the most pleasant um, situation. But just like we have the supply and demand imbalance um, in the housing market, we have it in a number of other markets. We have it um, in the labor market. We have almost two times the number of jobs as we have job seekers, which is putting pressure on wages. We have, um, you know, in terms of the commodities markets, you know, the potential for a super cycle in commodities, some of the issues that you were talking about earlier, um, impacting all different kinds of commodities, and even in something like um, you know, oil and gas, we have China sitting on the sidelines right now. They're a huge or consumer of energy. When that demand comes back online, that's going to put more pressure you know, later on in the year. So while, while you may see certain categories you know, feeling a little bit better from the consumer standpoint, it's going to be really hard for them at a time when their saving rate is down and their credit card balances are up. Um, so it's, you know, it's not the brightest outlook, but that just means don't panic. You should just prepare. Carol, I've got about 20 seconds. What's your predictions on a recession? So just in terms of the math of a recession, we have government spending um, going down. We know they're trying to reduce the deficit somewhat. We have the consumer potentially being constrained. With the stock market, you have business investment going down. So mathematically, that's going to put a lot of uh, pressure on GDP. If we don't see one next quarter, potentially later in the year, either that or some, some additional stagflation. So much to watch. Carol Roth, we appreciate it. Thank you. Always good to see you. Well, some of America's top companies are already pausing hiring or even just flat out laying off staff. Do they know something we don't? Is a recession indeed on the way? The News Fake Quarter reports. Large companies are having large layoffs and hiring freezes. Wells Fargo, America's third largest bank, is laying off employees nationwide. Meta, formerly Facebook, is reducing hiring for mid-level and senior roles. Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi says the app will start treating hiring as a privilege. Robinhood, back in April, said it was kicking out 9% of its employees, blaming duplicate job functions. Better.com, whose CEO is well known for his mass Zoom layoff, laid off 30 3% of its staff, around 3,000 people. Carvana, which sells used cars, laid off 12% of its people. So what they don't want to do is get caught in an overhire position. George Randall is a partner at Talent War Group. Randall says companies are being cautious in the face of uncertainty. While hiring may get cut back a little bit, there's still an enormous appetite for top talent on the market. The layoffs and hiring freezes are happening as experts are predicting a recession amid the war in Ukraine and high inflation. <laughs> think it'll be a mild recession uh, and it'll be short-lived. Harley Lipman is the founder of Genesis 10, an IT talent recruitment firm. Lipman says companies don't necessarily lay off people because profits are down. There are many other reasons. One could be automation. It's just they're adjusting perhaps supply and demand be another reason. So we shouldn't panic or worry about that. In a stuttering job market, it's a good idea not to be fired. To do this, experts say it's important to be a top talent or hard to replace in another way. Faye Quarter, NTD News. And Tesla's China sales are down 98% in April, as compared to the month before. 
Lockdowns still happening in China. Tesla's Shanghai Gigafactory was closed for weeks last month. The carmaker sold only 1,500 vehicles in the whole of China. It's according to China's Passenger Car Association. Tesla's production in the country also slid 81% in April compared to the month before, from over 55,000 vehicles to close to 11,000. The decline comes as tens of millions of people in dozens of cities have been under full or partial lockdown. And U.S. investment bank J.P. Morgan recently labeled Chinese internet companies, quote, uninvestable, as per one analyst there. The label wiped out about $20 billion from American and Asian stock markets, but the bank is now calling it an editorial error. Don Ma speaks to an expert to break down what's been happening behind the scenes. According to sources, the label uninvestable was never meant to be released. J.P. Morgan's editorial staff wanted the word uninvestable to be removed from the reports and be replaced with unattractive. But due to an error or oversight, the word uninvestable still slipped into some reports. Analyst Christopher Balding, founder of research company New Kite Data Labs, says J.P. Morgan has a conflict of interest. On one hand, the investment bank doesn't want to upset Chinese companies or authorities. And on the other hand, it also has the responsibility to investors to be clear on the risks of investing in Chinese companies. J.P. Morgan faces an enormous uh, conflict of interest. If you criticize China, the economic outlook or the accounting standards or whatever, uh, there's a very good probability that you could be cut off from all Chinese business. The label that Chinese internet companies are uninvestable was determined by independent analysts at J.P. Morgan. Is it considered irresponsible for editorial staff who don't have the expertise of analysts, to change what the analysts say about investment risks. It's definitely known that they, the editorial staff is there to massage words so that, uh, so that they uh, come off much more polite than what, uh, than what they say. They're much more trained in uh, helping to avoid political minefields uh, and wordsmithing so that words uh, are, let's say, softened. Balding says that in an ideal world, J.P. Morgan shouldn't soften words. However, he also says that professional investors already know this fact and won't be misled. Investors know that uh, that uh, a buy is not really a buy. A hold is more of a sell, and a sell means you know get out of this company as fast as possible. So professional investors, for the most part, know that those words might be softened. A J.P. Morgan spokesperson said that whether the word uninvestable or unattractive is used in the report, they stand behind it. Also saying that the two words are interchangeable. On the surface, these two words have completely different meanings. But to a professional investor, Balding says, they mean basically the same thing. To the professional investor, they absolutely understand uh, that, those, that those terms are nearly interchangeable. Professional investor is going to read J.P. Morgan Research and say, I know I've met the analyst. The analyst can't say uninvestable, but when they say this, that basically means don't invest in this company. One possible reason why J.P. Morgan labeled some Chinese internet companies uninvestable could be Beijing's regulatory crackdowns, which wiped out billions of dollars from the sector. Don Man, NTD News. And the head of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance says allowing congressional staff to unionize is a Democrat publicity stunt billed to the American taxpayer. 
The House just passed a bill to give 10,000 employees the green light to come together to fight for better pay and working conditions. But David Williams says members of Congress can already give their staffers better contracts. Lawmakers didn't need to pass a bill to do it. Here he is. This looks like something that they're doing for the midterm elections to make it look like that uh, they care about lower and middle income people, that they're trying to get the union vote. The move would give employees the right to bargain and strike as a group. Political reports the staffers have been complaining of burnout and brain drain. I know the feeling. The new rule does not need Senate approval since it applies only to the House. Employees are expected to start organizing soon. The president has been a vocal in his support for business unions across the country. Republicans have generally opposed them, calling them anti-business. Down on Wall Street today, main indexes ended sharply lower, led by a sharp drop in the Nasdaq. It fell 337 points, three and two tenths of a percent. That was after a good morning. The Dow dropped 327 points, one percent, and the S&P lost 66 points, one and seven tenths of a percent. Volatile trading on Wall Street these days. And in protest over the rising cost of vegan milk and alleged mistreatment of cows, animal rights activists glued themselves to a Starbucks countertop. And Dishan Marshall has more. Actor James Cromwell, succession actor and honorary director of PETA, superglued himself to a countertop at a midtown Manhattan Starbucks on Tuesday in protest of upcharged vegan milk. PETA stands for the people for the ethical treatment of animals. The incident was streamed on PETA's social media accounts. Police eventually arrived to disperse the crowd of protesters. Cromwell then freed himself and another from the counter seen here. I asked some people for their opinions on the situation. I think it should be like uh, normal, like they shouldn't charge that extra. Because like I feel like uh, I don't think there's a big difference between dairy and non-dairy milk. I think the cause is right. It's non-violent protest, right? Like he's not hurting anybody. So I think, you know, if that's how he wants to make his point, he has a right to do that. Again, like maybe there would have been a more effective way to do it, but to me, I don't see what's wrong with it. You know, inflation's everywhere. I'm not surprised that it hit vegan milk as much as any milk, or maybe worse, maybe better. I don't really know enough about the market to say vegan milk should have gone up more or less than whole milk, let's say. So I really can't say it's right or wrong. In a statement, Cromwell said he wants Starbucks to stop punishing kind and environmentally conscious customers for choosing plant milks. This is the second time hands were glued inside of a Starbucks, the last time being at a Seattle location in April. A Starbucks spokesperson told me, we respect our customers' rights to respectfully voice their opinions so long as it does not disrupt our store operations. The creative form of protest certainly attracted attention, but it begs the question, who was the real victim here, Starbucks customers or Starbucks itself? Sean Marshall, NTD News. Still to come, stay with us, some great shows coming up. Holly Davidson unveiling its second electric motorcycle. Goes from zero to 60 in four seconds, but how far can it go in one charge? Add millions of tulips in full bloom in one Michigan town. Locals and visitors alike celebrating the Dutch culture in a week-long celebration. Take you there. That and more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. Harley-Davidson has come out with its second electric motorcycle called the Del Mar. It goes from 0 to 60 in 4 seconds and should be able to travel around 100 miles in a single charge. The battery case doubles as part of the motorcycle frame, making it lighter than the previous model. It supports both Level 1 and Level 2 charging. Level 1 charging generally gives you 4 miles for every hour you're charging. Level 2 gives you 32 miles per hour, according to evocharge.com at least. So doing the math for you to get a full charge, you need to leave it in for 25 hours at Level 1 and a little over 3 hours for Level 2. No specific information from the company on charging time, but its first electric motorcycle took 12 hours. The bike should be on sale somewhere in the spring of 2023. The targeted price is $15,000. And Airbnb unveiled some new booking features ahead of the summer travel season, with the CEO calling it the biggest change in a decade. The features include split stays, which give you the option to split stays between locations for longer trips. There's also a new search tool that lets people search for homes in 56 categories. They include home styles, proximity to places such as national parks and vineyards, and distance to an activity like golfing or camping. Companies also expanding guest protections. The protections offer users similar accommodations or refunds if their booking was cancelled. They can't check into a home or if the listing wasn't as advertised. New features are available in the U.S. Wednesday and globally later this week. And millions of tulips are in full bloom in Holland, Michigan. This week, the city is celebrating the 93rd year of the Tulip Time Festival. The festival, which celebrates Netherlands' national flower, the tulip, has evolved into a celebration of Dutch cultures. Here's the story. A few hundred Dutch dancers welcomed visitors to Holland, Michigan this week as part of its annual Tulip Time Festival celebration. The first Dutch immigrants settled in Holland, Michigan 175 years ago in 1847, and their descendants have preserved many of the traditional Dutch cultures for generations. 24-year-old Molly Blue performed the traditional Dutch dance in a Dutch costume. Um, this was actually my mom's that she Dutch danced in when she was in high school. So they can't have any zippers, they all have to have hooks and buttons. Dutch dancers also wear traditional wooden shoes, but the shoes are stiff. Now I'm wearing eight pairs of socks. You want the cushion from all of the socks so that your feet don't hurt while you're dancing. The Dutch invented de clomp, wooden shoes, or the clog, in the 13th century to replace leather shoes. Located by the North Sea with one-third of its land below sea level, the Netherlands has a damp climate, not conducive to leather. Ken Larman, a shoe carver, explains the origin of wooden shoes. Leather was very hard to get and did not, does not hold up well in that climate. And they're having trouble with health issues with their feet, so they invented with the wooden shoe to keep their feet dry, and, and they last longer than leather would in that area. The people of Holland also passed down another tradition, making Delftware, famous Dutch pottery, by using the raw materials and processing techniques from Delft, Netherlands. Delft was a trade center in the 1600s. Because the China, the route for all the items would go past the Netherlands, so that's where they kind of got the blue and white. The Delft design has a few specific elements, including a type of flour and windmills. Herod says Holland's Delft factory is the only one in North America. Beyond the Dutch culture, the city's picturesque windmills and blooming tulips are a feast for the eyes. 
Jim Kasberg from Ohio is having a great time with friends. Oh, we're enjoying it tremendously. We drove here purposely to see this beautiful area and everything it has to offer. For the first time since the pandemic, this year's Tulip Time Festival is fully open and will last until this Sunday, May 15th. Reporting by NTD's Angela Moy. And Dolly Parton still working, working, 925. She's teaming up with Taco Bell for a new musical about the chain's Mexican pizza. Yeah, Mexican pizza. Los Angeles Times reports Parton is teaming up with rapper Doja Cat and several TikTok stars for the project. Taco Bell's Mexican pizza was a fan favorite, as until the restaurant discontinued it in 2020. Now it's returning May 19th with a musical to boot. Mexican Pizza the Musical is set to debut on TikTok May 26th. Under her diamond and ruby ring is still without a buyer. It was slated to go up for $8 million at auction on Monday in Geneva. Sotheby's estimated the ring would sell at between $7.5 and $9.6 million. The stone is D color, the highest possible color grading for white diamonds. It's part of the only 2% type IIA diamonds in the world. Sotheby's also presented a colorful Oscar Heyman and Brothers gem set and Diamond Birds in Flight bracelet from 1927. That was decorated with tropical birds and floral sprigs and sold for $1.4 million, twice its estimated price. And we leave it there for today's NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Cancel Catch, NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6 30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.